Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who is kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are starting Goblet of Fire, the book four in this series, and we have Elizabeth with us. Hello! Um, I think this is the first time you're actually starting uh, a book with us. It so is. That's exciting. I'm very excited for this chapter. Uh, we both have kind of memories of reading this book for the first time. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, obviously we have read this series before. <laughs> so many times. So many times. <laughs> and I know I have read this book particularly many, many times. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to love about this book. But um, I remember when this book came out, it was around the year 2000, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember we had a big family reunion that year, that mm-hmm. summer, up in my favorite place in the world, Bayfield, Wisconsin. So I took this book on the the road trip to northern Wisconsin, and I remember reading it throughout the festivities that we had during the family reunion, and I remember, like, bringing it to the beach and bringing it to dinner and bringing it, like, (laughs) everywhere I went, this book went as well, which Mm -hmm. you can tell by some of the wear and tear in my book. Uh, And I remember some of my family members would just roll their eyes and go, oh, Dan's bringing this book again to dinner. Like, what is he doing? Is that book really that good? And I'm like, you guys don't even understand how good this book is. (laughs) Uh, But that's kind of the memories that I have attached uh, with Goblet of Fire. How about you? Yeah, this was the first book I remember waiting for. And my parents made the smart move of buying uh, three copies for me and my siblings. And I am the fastest reader. So I would irritate them like crazy because I would laugh at something Fred and George said and I'd want to immediately tell my siblings. And they were like, well, I'm not there yet, so shut up. But I distinctly remember the day that it arrived. I, I too, like I went outside, which if you don't know me, I, I don't go outside all that much. So I was laying in the grass reading the book and it was a bright sunny day. And I remember with this very first chapter, I literally had to stop and just like recompose myself because it was so dark. I felt like I had a chill kind of like overcoming me. And I was like you, I took the book everywhere. I'd I'd get bored with one spot where I was reading and I'd go off and I'd find a different spot to read in. And I just pretty much bounced around the whole house until I finished the book, which I mean, it's, it took a while because it is a, it's a thick one, but it was just so good. I couldn't put it down. Yeah, and that's one of the things that grabbed me, too, about this book was it's such a unique start. Mm-hmm. Like, this first chapter that we'll get into right now, uh, it's called The Riddle House, mm-hmm. which, if you remember all the way back to Chamber of Secrets, who Riddle is. Right. Did you remember that the first the first time you read, like, right away? Uh, I can't honestly remember. Because I remember, detail. like, I, I was just reading, and I was just like, oh, okay, Riddle House, whatever, and I was like, wait a second. Tom Riddle. Oh my god, this is what this means. Yeah, this isn't a spoiler. Uh, We find out in Chamber of Secrets that Lord Voldemort's real name is Tom Marvolo Riddle. Tom Marvolo Riddle. So, um, yeah, so we start out with the Riddle House, and for once, it's not Harry at the Dursleys. Right. Uh, And I want to point out, too, sorry, this is 
only the second time so far in the series where the perspective is not Harry's. The last time we saw that was the very first chapter of Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, when it was yeah. Vernon's, oddly it's enough. Very, very rare when yeah, it's not it's Harry's perspective. So I I think that's another reason why it just like stands out to you. You're like, whoa, what's what's going on here? For sure. It's definitely a, a chapter that kind of sets itself apart. Mm -hmm. And uh, really quick, I'll give a brief rundown of what happens in the chapter. But uh, really, this chapter mostly takes part, uh, shockingly, in the Riddle House uh, with our gardener slash landlord slash master of the grounds and house, whatever you want to call him. He's like the Hagrid. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hagrid you have, the Riddle House. You have Frank Bryce. Uh, who is in charge of taking care of this house. We'll get into his history here in a little bit. But uh, he's essentially taking care of the house. He notices a light is on in the house, goes to check it out, and stumbles upon a conversation happening in the room. And that, that's essentially what this chapter is, is, his reactions to that conversation, what that conversation is about. In the room where it happens. In the room where it happens. <laughs> it's the room where it happens. Uh, so that's essentially the chapter. But we'll start off with talking a little bit about Frank Bryce, who he is, why he's important. Mm -hmm. And uh, this this house is located in Little Hangleton, mm -hmm. which is next to Great Hangleton, uh, the bigger of the two cities. But we find out that this is where three Riddles were murdered. Mm -hmm. uh, you have Mr. and Mrs. Riddle and their adult son, Tom. We're all very unpopular because they're oh so snobbish and just like rich, ugh. snobbish, rude. Those generic stereotypes. Yeah, you know, uh, I yeah. like them. But we find out that there's some interesting things surrounding their deaths. Uh, there's no apparent cause. <laughs> uh, they were three reasonably healthy individuals uh, that were frightened to death. That had looks of intense horror on their faces. That was the only thing. Uh, no. Clear signs of damage to their bodies, no signs of stress, no signs of poisoning, no signs of drugs, no signs of anything like that. So, very or any, like breaking into the house, right? It was just, yep, you know, here they are, and they were all in dinner dead. clothes, I believe, too. They were all like mm -hmm. other dinner things. Mm -hmm. uh, and as small towns tend to do, uh, the night that this happened, uh, everybody went out to the hanged man pub, the hanged man pub. So, like, they're, they're a small town, but they're big enough for a pub. <laughs> It's the UK. Every time there's a pub. <laughs> Let's be real. Uh, it's what I love what about a, the UK. What a great name, though. I love the it is name a good so name. much. The Hanged Man. The Hanged Man Pub, uh, which is apparently a popular gossip spot, as most pubs and bars are. Mm -hmm. uh, people get to talking. Well, especially when someone's murdered. <laughs> you know? When three people are murdered. <laughs> and uh, obviously, the this house in Little Hangleton is the biggest, most grandiose house. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows it. Everybody knows who lives there. Etc. Etc. So and no one likes them. Uh, they're all gossiping and going on about their business, and then all of a sudden, the family cook of the Riddles comes running into this pub, and has news. And they say they've arrested Frank Bryce, who's the family gardener. Mm -hmm. And they've arrested him. They're looking at him for the murders. And their reasoning, though, it does make sense. I mean, they said he has a key to the house, and there was no forced entry. So, obviously, it had to be him. Yeah, they're, they're drawing a lot of, uh, you know, lines to dots that aren't necessarily connected. They're, mm -hmm. But that's what gossip is. Yeah. A little bit about Frank Bryce. Uh, we learned that he's a war veteran, uh, obviously, of World War II. We get him here. At this point, he is a 77-year-old man. 
and he is very deaf. Yeah. Uh, which I find interesting because he gives us almost a perfect line-for-line line account of this conversation that he overhears. Well, he dug a lot but... of earwax out of his ear. He clearly has not cleaned his ears in years. Then maybe he's just deaf, not very <laughs> deaf, which is exactly how they quote him in this book. Also, I feel like adrenaline is rushing through him, so he's like, you know... Straining kind of to hear that much more. every word you possibly maybe. can. Because he thought they were kids, right? Punk kids trying to torture him for his supposed murder. Right. Um, which goes kind of all the way back to his... He's developed hesitancy mm -hmm. to call the police because of his history with the uh, arrest for their murder or early on. I mean, on. like, if I was falsely accused of murder, I would probably also be like, eh, do I want to call the cops? They didn't also like his explanation. He maintained that there was a pale, dark-haired teenager that was seen near the house that mm -hmm. night, but no one else could place that teenager. So most of the town, that teenager never existed. Mm-hmm. Um, very suspicious. Very suspicious. Uh, so they didn't really believe Frank's, I guess you'd call it alibi. Uh, but anyway, Frank was released as there was no proof that the Brittles were harmed in the first place. So, I mean, you can't really charge him with anything. Um, also, this dot lady. Let, <laughs> let me just take a time out. This dot, this person named Dot in the bar <laughs> is just a certain type of person. Let me tell you. I mean, she mentioned how he had a horrible temper when he was a kid. A kid? You're holding that against them? Like, Most kids have horrible tempers. If that's the case, you know, Harry has a terrible temper at like 11, 12, and 13 <laughs> that we've seen so far. So clearly when he's 45 or 77, he'll be a terrible human being. Like, that's a terrible reasoning. They're just grasping at straws to make sense of the nonsensical. This lady, let me tell you, oh my gosh. Uh, not a fan of Dot. Um, so anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we, we get past it and, and he's getting into this, uh, he's been living at the Riddle household now for, for years, mm -hmm. uh, and for about 50 years, they say, right? Yeah. 50 years. Yeah. Uh, he's just maintaining the gardens, maintaining, uh, the grounds and the house, although he doesn't venture into the house too often, they say. So well, they said now a wealthy owner owns the Riddle House and pays him to still work there. Yeah, which does make me wonder, like, who actually owns the house, and I also wonder if it's a Muggle or a wizard who owns the house. I have my hypothesis. Yeah, is but that a spoiler hypothesis? It is a, it is a spoiler <laughs> hypothesis. Okay, we'll come back to it. Yeah, so he's been working there for a long time, mm -hmm. and he's now at the point where you know his leg is stiff from the war. His Hearing is going even worse. He's, he's an old man who's lived a life, lived a hard life, it sounds mm -hmm. like. And he gets up at night and sees this light on in the house. He goes up, over to check it, and he stumbles on this conversation. What's really interesting to, to note is, like, just the voice that he hears. Mm -hmm. Just the voice. Mm -hmm. He can't see him, and he can't obviously hear him that well, really. But just the voice that he hears makes, like, the hairs on his neck stand up. Well, I feel like there's some kind of magic in his voice, you know, that's also affecting him. Maybe, which we can get to uh, in a second. Mm -hmm. But the fact that that happens, and frankly has no idea who this individual is, mm -hmm. uh, it is intriguing. Well, that, and it also, like, it captures his interest so quickly. He can't help but listen. I mean, he knows, like, he should go get the cops and stuff like these people are not supposed to be here but he's to like, be fair he's hearing glued. words he's never heard 
before, like Muggle yeah, and Quidditch. Quidditch. And he's heard the word wizard a couple of times, and he's like, wait, Which what am I Which is fascinating. Like, this is, again, this is the second time we've seen wizards from a muggle perspective. Like, you are not supposed to be overhearing this. And this is, I mean, like, with the Dursleys, they knew all wizards. They knew their existence. But here is someone who has been sheltered from the wizarding world their entire life, overhearing something that they shouldn't hear. You know, like, it, it's it's interesting seeing that perspective. Uh, let's just get this out of the way really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the two people that are having this discussion in the room, mm-hmm. we read the name Wormtail over and over and over again. And if you've read Prisoner of Azkaban, you now know who Wormtail is codename for. That's Peter Pettigrew. And uh, he keeps referring to this individual as Lord. My Lord. My Lord. Um, I know one person who gets that title. That title, and, and <laughs> I think we eventually get... The, the name at some point he says his own name Lord Voldemort and that is the Dark Lord himself uh, not in his not in great state I wouldn't say he's in a great state no he's in a very much diminished state but he's present I mean he can't like Frank can't see him over the the chair and it's not like it's a very tall chair and and we know Wormtail is terrified of turning the chair around to face Frank it's, so it's it's a very interesting figure that is in this chair but it has enough strength to hold up a wand and do magic you know which is interesting and i have questions about that yeah but spoilers again (laughs) the the interesting thing the conversation that takes place between voldy and and pettigrew is interesting Mm -hmm. you have pettigrew clearly like terrified out of his mind to be in the same room and it sounds like they've been together for quite a while now i mean we're Closing in on the start of a new year at Hogwarts, give or take. Just imagine, like, <laughs> if it was, like, the 90s and there was a TV show. It is a 90s. <laughs> but, like, okay, like a 90s-style TV show of Voldemort and Wormtail just, like, playing house. <laughs> just think of how much fun that would be. <laughs> it would be a lot of Wormtail, come get me this thing. <laughs> There'd be so many fun sound effects. <laughs> the no if you want to go tv show route i was thinking like do you think the uk at this point has like a true crimes or Ooh. or like a mind hunter thing and, and they're trying to one of them and they're trying to figure out the crime of the three riddles oh, i could 100 see that you, i that's the, all i could think about when reading the that story of like them gossiping at the bar or whatever i'm like well that could also be why they keep the story alive to get some publicity for you know, the tiny little town that they Maybe, are. I mean, people have tried to live at that house, and for whatever eerie, spooky reason, they've been unable to stay there for very long. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, the, the conversation taking place is essentially Wormtail went out after the events of Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm-hmm. And, Which we knew was going to happen, because the prediction. Uh, correct. Made. And searched out and found mm-hmm. uh, Voldy, and essentially, obviously, brought him back to the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, long journey. Very trying. Obviously, uh, Wormtail is doing quite a bit here to sustain uh, to sustain Voldy. He mentioned, like, milking Nagini. Which I have a whole question on. Like, we find out Nagini is a 12-foot-long snake. I love Nagini. <laughs> what exactly are they referring to? as? Because when I hear milking the snake, I think of you're, venom. You're, yeah. Right? I, I think of, like, the venom in the fangs. Well, I think that's part of it. I think that's what he needs. He's literally surviving on snake venom? So there's essentially a potion created from snake venom that's... Because 
Because he wasn't a body. He was like a wisp kind of a thing. That's what Dumbledore said was the last known of him. He was like possessing... Well, in Sorcerer's Stone, when we see him, he becomes like this non-corporeal right. entity. So so somehow... So between Nagini and Wormtail kind of like following directions as clumsily as he can, he's gotten some type of body, but it's not like a full human form. Right. Okay. But I did find that interesting, the, the milking Nagini part. I'm like, well, there's only one thing I know about milking a snake, and it's the venom. So that's interesting. We do hear the name Bertha Jorkins in this mm-hmm. chapter, and I want to just... Let me tell our listeners real quick. Anna has a whole thing on Bertha Jorkins. Uh, we will get to Bertha Jorkins in detail at some later point in this book. But I'm obviously, she has a whole thing on Bertha Jorkins. And I will let her... <laughs> it will be the Bertha Jorkins hour. Okay? Okay. okay. That, that's her thing. I will let her do her thing. <laughs> uh, but what we find out here is uh, that Voldy himself calls her an important piece of his plans for the upcoming year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they talk about how we need to get to Harry. We have to get to Harry Potter. Yes. Which Wormtail is trying to persuade him. Like, we don't need Harry. We can just get anybody. He's like, no, 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 no. It's my plan. Well, I like it because Pettigrew is very careful with his words. Yeah. He's very careful about how he words things. He is so full of regrets with being here right now. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, but like like Voldy pointed out, you had nowhere else to go. Right. You've burned your bridges. Don't burn your bridges. I think Wormtail has it tough in this he always has it tough mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of outs and avenues to go if you're peter Pettigrew. full full admission obviously the vast majority of which is on him like he's created some of these issues that he finds himself he's in. he's dug his own hole i mean he can't sure. go out into the public because everyone thinks he's dead he can't go to his friends because they want to kill him the only option is to go to the, the man. only protection he has is Voldemort, it, which is a scary option <laughs> obviously uh, so he's very careful about what he says. Mm-hmm. And in that conversation specifically, he's saying, we don't have to. Like, we can do this potion or this spell or whatever they have in mind mm-hmm. without Harry. We could do it with another witch or wizard. And Voldy's like, while that's technically true, mm-hmm. we're not doing that. Right. We're doing it with Harry. We need Harry, and that's the end of it. Which in itself, like, I mean, that does show... It's interesting seeing Voldemort show that caution because a lack of caution was what, you know, put him in this predicament however many years ago it was now, what, 14, right? 14 years ago, which, I mean, I understand Wormtail being like, look, if you just did it, then you could have your body and it could be like, woo, yay, you're He's back. He's not technically wrong. He's not technically wrong, but Voldemort's like, uh-huh, I want this to go right this time. So a little caution and biding my time like an evil villain does. I mean, that's the whole point, right? So we're going to do this right. We're going to use Harry Potter. I do feel bad for Pettigrew in this sense, in this chapter specifically, because we're only talking about this chapter. Mm -hmm. I do feel bad for him because he is constantly verbally abused this entire chapter. He is like, Voldy is like, Pettigrew, you're an idiot. You're not here because of your brain. You're not here because of this. You're not here because of your bravery. You're not here because of this. Yeah, because he's a coward. I mean, Voldy is just ripping him a new one for the majority of this chapter. To Pettigrew's defense, and I actually respect Pettigrew a little bit, Mm -hmm. 
for trying to step up and be like, whoa, 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 time out. I did this for you. I did this for you. I did this for you. Uh, does that get me no credit here? Because I actually did this. Yeah. Do you see any one of your other former followers here right now? Just me. But Voldemort, <laughs> like, I mean, does rightly point out. He's like, I mean, you're not doing that because you had a stroke of intelligence. You're not doing it because of loyalty. It's just because you have no that's other true. options. That's true. But still, he did it. Right. And not many others can actually say that because they didn't. Right. And he Maybe did. it's it's the Gryffindor and Peter that's coming out. I think out, so. You know? I think that is a little bit of... Because he's literally standing up to, granted, a diminished, but still present. Yeah. Still powerful. I mean, he was able to do a, yeah. you know, a memory charm and a killing curse. It's like... So, clearly he's standing up a little bit to Voldy and being like, no, 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 wait. That's not entirely accurate. I've done things. Mm -hmm. I've accomplished things that mm -hmm. none of your other followers have. So give me a little credit here. And oh. Voldy's very quick to be like, yeah, you're right. And then another insult. <laughs> like usually yeah, right after he that. doesn't really give his followers much of a... And that's why I know. feel a little bit of the pity for, for Pettigrew. It's just like, no he could be great. Mm -hmm. It's just the problem is someone is usually just a bit better or... We've talked a lot about Pettigrew. Yeah. He's a very interesting character if you really break it him is, down. But... It is just interesting seeing him, like, with Voldemort because we know that history. We know, like, he is the one he went to to betray Lillian James. So having them reunited after all these years and after him pretending to be dead and, and you know, like, just waiting. Do you think interesting. it's interesting that they still use the name Wormtail? Like, Voldy calls him Wormtail. Yeah. Often. Do you think that's weird? That he uses Marauder nickname? I think it's him identifying more as Wormtail than as Peter. I think, like, to him, Peter is just like, mm, Or do you think it's child. another insult that Voldy is, like, he's calling him Wormtail, but not as, like, a sign of respectful like defiance like the Marauders did? It's more of, like, you are literally a worm to me. I will refer to you as... I could see that. You know what I mean? I could see that. I also just take it more as like, I mean, to him, Peter is the friend of Lily and James and Sirius and Lupin. And and yes, Wormtail was his marauder identity, but I mean, when it boils down to it, it's a rat, right? And you guys have talked before about what that indicates about him. And I, I could see it like being what Voldemort can respect about him, maybe? Or, like, any other Death Eaters, maybe, could respect about him? Just... Regardless, I thought it was just an interesting interaction between yeah. the two throughout this entire chapter. And... I guess it's kind of... It does remind me of, like, the way Voldemort... I mean, this isn't his name, right? Voldemort doesn't go by his real name. Why should Wormtail? There's reasons for that. <laughs> I know, but... Maybe they there's the mutual respect of that. As much respect as Voldemort can give. <laughs> I don't think he has much. I don't, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Really, really tiny though. I don't think he literally <laughs> concerns himself with anything Peter Pettigrew at any point in time. Okay, so then if not respect, just understanding of why you would choose to not use your real name. Maybe. I, that's an interesting take if you want to be like, oh, I get that. Mm. I've never associated that sentiment Bold. with Voldy <laughs> slash Tom Riddle. If anyway. anything, I think it's just him trying to be like, yeah, this is, I'm not Peter, I'm Wormtail. Anyway, this uh, this chapter climax is kind of with uh, Nagini making an entrance 
Mm-hmm. And, and terrifying Frank, because you don't expect to see a 12-foot snake correct. wandering through an abandoned house. And then they kind of have their own, uh, Nagini and Voldy have their own little hissing discussion, and they find out that Frank is outside the, the door. They bring Frank in. Frank and Voldy have what I think is actually a quite casual conversation, given Voldy's disposition towards most things. Sorry, you just said something. <laughs> They had a literal hissy fit. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a fit, but sure. Well, Frank thought it was a fit. He was like, is he having a stroke? That's what fair. is this? That's fair. I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Frank shows a level of defiance here, which I think is brave. Quite brave. If he were a wizard, he would be in Gryffindor. It, it's certainly an act of bravado. Mm-hmm. And he tries to pull out this... Uh, which is brilliant. It's a brilliant move on his part to be like, oh, my wife is back at the house. Mm-hmm. She knows I'm up here. If I don't come back, she'll call the police. Yep. Uh, which I think would work in most instances, except for the fact that you are face-to-face with a dark wizard of pretty substantial skill. Face to back, because remember, face he's, back. he's yeah. still turned around. But the fact that he can still like determine if you're lying or not when he's not even looking at you. Again, intense magic that he has, even though he doesn't have a full body right now. It's crazy. I wonder if it's, because we've talked about like Trelawney with real predictions and with her like parlor tricks. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a thing that Voldy, like, yes, he's a very... But he can also just like... No. Voice inflections yeah. and, and different twitch. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can read people and see if they're lying or not. Yeah, I definitely think so. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit of both too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yes, he, he picks up on that. Uh, Frank is very bold and brave and bless him. He tried to stand up. It just did not uh, did not work out very well for him. Well, he was almost even a little sarcastic too. He's like, is that right? Lord, is it? Well, I don't think much of your manners, my lord. Turn around and face me like a man, why don't you? He's like, oh, I am no man. <laughs> that was a very dramatic line. You know, like, <laughs> but yeah, I turned around and then again, it's like a terrifying. He's, he opened his mouth, let out a scream. He was screaming so loudly, he never heard the words, the thing, the thing in the chair, not even human, like the thing in the chair spoke as it raised a wand. There's a flash of green light, a rushing sound, and Frank Bryce crumpled. He was dead before he hit the floor. Yep. Rest in peace, Frank. Rest in peace. We barely knew you. We barely knew you, but what we know is awesome. Uh-huh. You, you stood up, you tried your best. Um, and then 200 miles it. away, the boy called Harry Potter woke with a start. And that's the end of our non-spoiler section of <laughs> chapter one. Uh, come back, we have some things to talk about uh, from the non-spoilers in the spoiler section. Mm-hmm. So we will be right back. Enjoy. We hope you enjoyed, by the way, our new intro to start off this this book. I will not be saying this sound in the break to Dan. Uh, Not this time. No, this is a me quote. If you don't live up to my expectations, <laughs> it's a non-spoiler. Whatever. <laughs> Come back. We hope you enjoy the break sound. We'll be right back. Kill the spare. All right, we are back with the spoiler section. I have not killed the spare. <laughs> and we're back with a question that you brought up in the non-spoiler mm-hmm. about who potentially might own that house yeah because i was wondering if it's a muggle or a wizard and i could see it either way but i'm kind of leaning towards a wizard all they tell you, had you a theory, though. all they tell you is that it's a rich individual who has supposedly said they own it for tax reasons because right. no one no one ever sees the person correct and, 
anything like that. They don't understand the tax reasons now, you could get. There, there could that could be just the reason, and that's it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be just very cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Boom. There are those instances where you know you could have a house for tax reasons and just write it off or whatever. Right. I'm sure there are those reasons. Right. Uh, especially in a different country that I'm not aware of the tax code. I'm sure those <laughs> things can exist. But my theory is, and this is a spoiler section, so mm -hmm. my theory is one Albus Dumbledore yeah, I would owns agree. the house. I would agree. Purely for basically the reason that book six exists. <laughs> <laughs> of just to own a piece of... Tom Riddles, as Albus would call him, Tom, mm -hmm. a piece of Tom's history, mm -hmm. and try to glean anything from it that he might be able to, even if he doesn't understand that purpose at that moment. Right. Uh, because Albus is that. Uh, well, just think of thinking. all the family history that's probably locked away in that house. I doubt anyone came through to clear through like the filing cabinets or anything like that. You know. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, and I'm Albus is the type of person that would, uh, you know, have, he's very thorough. He is, and he <laughs> would be also the person to continue paying Frank to be there. Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. So it it makes sense. The only aspect that I'm like, eh, maybe not, is we know later on Dumbledore says how he reads the Muggle news, and he knows that there was a killing of a man named Frank Bryce that the wizarding world did not pay attention to but he did which i mean okay maybe he got the news about his you know gardener's death through the newspaper but i feel like if it's his gardener he would get it a little bit faster than just the newspaper but i could very much see it as being dumbledore just not just for that like research tom riddle but also to protect other people i mean maybe you could just you can just purchase that property mm -hmm. and just tuck it away Mm -hmm. And not have to really think about it until it's time to think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't have to think about it every day. It's like, oh, I have this riddle house. Well, I also wonder, which, I mean, this kind of goes into the next point I had. But, like, everyone who lived in the riddle house after the death of the riddles said they had a nasty feeling about it. And I w originally, I would think, like, okay, nasty feelings means, like, it's haunted. Right? But we know that muggles cannot become ghosts. So there are no ghosts in this house, which makes me think maybe, I mean, maybe there's an uneasy feeling of just like, oh, someone died in this house. But I could also see it as Tom cursed the house of his father because he despises the man, you know? So I could also see maybe Dumbledore, like, purchased it to protect people from Voldemort's curse. Uh, it's, I wouldn't dismiss that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we we know that Frank barely ever goes in the house because right. when he entered the kitchen, it said he hadn't been in there in a long, long time. I mean, there was like a, enough dust on the floor to completely muffle his, his yeah, like that's a lot. So we know he doesn't go in that house, right? So in theory, yeah, it could happen mm -hmm. um, that uh, that Tom could can curse it. We know that he has a which I could see him as taking away the curse when he comes to. You know, you can find a way around it depending on what the curse is or right. what have you. Well, I mean, like in, in this in this chapter, Voldemort it could be something as simple away, as, and then that's why Frank was able to get in. It could be something as simple as his presence alone just nullifies it, mm. or what have you. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah, I wouldn't dismiss that. And then 
the other part of actually why I think it's Elvis that might own the house is you have a little uh, mini deep dive on the history of what's going on around that time of the actual murder of the three riddles. Right. Which, I mean, isn't so much a deep dive that is just connecting book four to book six. We know 50 years ago in 1943, Tom Riddle was 16 years old and he was obsessed with trying to find his parentage. Um, he went to um, Will Hangington. He met his uncle who was Morphin Gaunt and Morphin was like, you know, you look like that muggle, the one she fell in love with years ago. So he learned of the existence of his father. He stole Slytherin's ring and Morphin's wand at that moment. He went and he murdered his father and his grandparents. So that's the murder that, you know, is this chapter. Um, he later turns that ring, of course, into a horse crux. And then he goes back to his uncle. He bewitches him into believing that he had committed the murder. So that's why, you know, he spends the rest of his life in Azkaban because the wizarding world doesn't bother fact-checking, especially when there's a memory charm. And then pretty soon after that, he completely drops his name. That's when he becomes Lord Voldemort. So he's finished his quest of figuring out who his parents are and is like, I don't need these these fools. My muggle father, whom I despise, and my witch mother who couldn't stay alive for me. So I don't need to be Tom Marvel or real. I'll become Lord Voldemort. Yeah. So I think just that history connected to it mm -hmm. would be enough for Albus just to keep tabs on it or yeah. make sure it doesn't fall into hands that would maybe um, delay or hinder potential future research that he might need to do yeah. on Tom Riddle. Like no one's, no one's getting the gaunt house. It's a, it's a shack. You know, I wonder, I wonder if he ever got um, Frank's memory of seeing 16 year old Tom Riddle. Possibly. Yeah. Um, I mean, he didn't show it to Harry, but would he need to? He's already kind of pieced together. If he's stuff. combed the house and... He saw the gaunt stuff. That was kind of more important because he sees the ring and he I, does that, you know. I would expect Albus to be very thorough yeah. in that type of research. Yeah. So I would imagine. Uh, the only problem is I don't know when he started doing that. I don't know when he started... Going back through. Yeah, that's true. Because if he's if it's after this, he's dead. Right. So. But he did say later on how he like first became interested after seeing the diary, and the diary was of sixteen year old, you know, Tom Riddle. So I mean, like if Harry gave him the the diary and he knows sixteen year old Tom Riddle, and then he's able to piece together the Riddle house, perhaps he went then and went into Frank's memory and remembered seeing. That kid that he saw that day that no one else saw. That's plausible. That's a, it's a thin window. Yeah. Um, but I suppose it's plausible. And it's I would, it's I definitely would, an option. I would trust Dumbledore to be able to fit into that thin window. I mean, yeah. he's figured out more <laughs> detailed and intricate plans in much, much less time. So yeah. Uh, he yeah. Yeah. It's it's possible for sure. I just, once again, I just want to draw attention to the fact that he's 16 years old when he murders his father and his grandparents. That's insane to me. If you guys have any thoughts on the rich, anonymous individual that owns the Riddle Manor, um, let us know. Let us know what your thoughts are. 
I think you also had a comment about what that body might look like that was in the chair. Yeah. I always picture that scabbed little, like, burn victim child that Harry sees in book seven after he's, you know, died. Yeah, yeah I could see that. I could see that as a possibility to what that Isn't that like, might be. That's basically, like, what's left of his soul, right? At that point and at this point. he I mean, yes, his horcruxes are still a thing, but he's been so weakened that what can he have to... Hold a wand, you know? It'd be interesting to see what magic exactly took place to get him from a wisp of a thing mm -hmm. to this type of existence. Well, okay, and we know that he's been, like, he was able to have more of a form with the unicorn blood. And we were talking about Milky Nagini. He also had to inhabit another body, though, for that. Right. But he said, I think later in some of the, it's either in this book or a different book, but I know he talks about like combining Nagini's snake venom with unicorn blood, and that is enough to create a somewhat corporal form. And that's like the scabbed baby thing that Harry sees Wormtail dump in the cauldron later on in the graveyard. Yeah. No, I think, I think the idea that it's the same type of thing we see in King's Cross mm -hmm. in, in Seven, I think, is pretty accurate. I think... Especially since Harry was, like, disgusted by it. He could he didn't, like... Every, he was revolting. And everyone has, looked, everyone has looked at this thing and screamed and, and Warmtail is like, oh, I don't want to go by it. So it's gotta be... Yeah. A pretty grotesque thing. Yeah. I think you had one more note on a particular line on page 12 of Goblet of Fire. You mean the thing we were debating before the podcast started? Yeah, we had two... <laughs> we looked at the line, we had two different interpretations of what it might mean. Okay, so we're on page 12. Uh, Voldemort's talking, he says, One more murder, dot dot dot. My faithful servant at Hogwarts, dot dot dot. Harry Potter is as good as mine, Wormtail. It is decided there is there will be no more argument, but quiet, I think I hear Nagini. And the way I read it, it's a very small difference. To... It's Yeah, it's very, very subtle. Um, which is maybe the point. Maybe she wrote it like that. But the way I picture it, I mean, Voldemort was talking about how it was foolish to do anything before the Quidditch World Cup happens. So the way I see it as they're waiting to attack Moody and replace him with Barty Crouch Jr., which happens, like, the day they leave for Hogwarts, like, the night before that. So when he's saying, like, one more murder, in my mind, it's like, okay, we have one more person to kill, and then we're going to have my faithful servant at Hogwarts, and then Harry Potter is as good as mine. So I think, we're, are we both on the same page as the one more murder part is Harry? I think so. Okay, we're on that part. So the part that we're differing is my faithful servant at Hogwarts. Right. Line. So the <laughs> the disagreement that we were having was, you think that it's a future my servant at Hogwarts. Right. And I think the plant has already been established. Right. Or at least might not be at Hogwarts physically, but the the transition's there. Yes. So obviously, spoiler section, you have Barty Crouch Jr. attack Moody and become the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Right. As Moody. So... Obviously, that's the faithful servant, because we're not talking about Snape here. No, because he doesn't know if he can trust Snape or not yet. Correct. As far as Voldemort is concerned, 
Snape is not a faithful servant. He abandoned him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that whole conversation happens much, much later. So Barty Crouch is obviously the faithful servant, yes? Yes. So it's just a matter of, is he there, is he established now, mm-hmm. or is this a future event? And you were bringing up examples from the actual attack on Moody. So to summarize really quickly. <laughs> so uh, based on a Mr. Weasley quote, mm-hmm. that's the day they leave on the Hogwarts Express, that he helped uh, Moody with a potential break-in and, and Moody just, according to Mr. Weasley, thought he was being paranoid. Right. And then later, Barty Crouch Jr. is under Veritaserum influence, and he details the exact uh, way that all broke down. Yeah. So you're saying that it happened the day of or the day before they left on the Hogwarts Express? Yes. Okay, so, which makes sense, and I get where you're coming from. It's totally valid. My only thing that makes me uncertain about it is if... Is Voldy? I I don't I don't believe Voldy is sitting at the Riddle House, going like, "Oh yeah, we have the servant at Hogwarts already," like without Crouch actually having defeated Moody. Like that's a ton of confidence that he would have in Barty Crouch Jr. Yeah, I, th- I don't know that I he has that confidence in anyone but himself. I think I, ju- I still just read it as like this: he has the plan in place. So one more murder, one more faithful servant at Hogwarts, and then and then Harry Potter's good as mine. But I think just it's those ellipses that she puts between the words that you know leave you to question and have this difference of of reading of is he already there or is it just the plan's ready. Let's put it into motion. But then he goes, Harry Potter is as good as mine. And again, I'm just thinking like all of his death eaters that he's ever had, Mm -hmm. no matter what level, Mm -hmm. Barty Crouch Jr., Pettigrew, Yaxley, Snape, Dullhawk, like anybody. Yeah. I don't think he has full confidence in any of them the way he has in himself. You know what I'm saying? Like for him to be like, yeah, Barty Crouch Jr. is totally going to take down this epic horror by himself, and my plan will be Well, fulfilled. him and Wormtail, not that, though. It's like, you know, I mean, he's, he's, you have defended Wormtail, so we're not going to completely dismiss him here in his ability to help take down Moody. But I think the only thing that they have going here is the element of surprise. Yes, Moody's paranoid, but no one's expecting, like, Barty Crouch Jr., who's supposed to be dead, you know, to pop up on your doorstep and be like, hey, guess what? I'm taking over you. Bye! And just like... Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm If I'm sitting there as Voldy, I'm just like, I'm not banking on anybody one-on-one taking down an orc. Like, I'm not banking my whole return to a full life to be fair, on though, a one-on-one battle. To be fair, though, what other option does he have? He's not... He doesn't have a full body. And he's not going to trust just Wormtail to do it. There's I'm, I'm nobody not, else. I'm not doubting that he's going to take a roll of the dice on this. <laughs> I'm just... The only thing I'm saying is I don't think he's that confident in a roll of the dice. You know what I mean? I think he has He's no not leaving option. a lot of this to chance. I think he has no other option. That's why he says... No one's doing the... I'm doing the memory charm. I'm doing the killing... I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Because I don't trust anybody else to do it 
like I know I can do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it just boils down to I think it's he's laying out his plan that you know, just to convince Wormtail, like, this is how it's going to happen. And for you, it's, yes, here's the plan, but it's already in motion. I don't think it's in motion yet. Yeah. And like I said, everything you laid out makes sense, and I get it. My only hesitation is, I don't think Voldy's that, that <laughs> confident in anything that he hasn't personally done. Tell us what you think. But anyway. <laughs> All right. Lastly, just to wrap this up, mm -hmm. uh, looking forward to Goblet of Fire, uh, I can't wait for some of it. It's some of my favorite Harry Potter stuff. It's really interesting. I I am... <laughs> the Triwizard Tournament has me, like, just locked in. I love everything about it. Yeah. Uh, so I am so ready for this book. I cannot wait to go forward. You know why that is? Hmm. It's because you have foreign wizarder, wizards from other countries. And that you're, like, helps. travel geek. That also helps. Um... <laughs> Also, I think I found a fun fact or something like that about where those schools technically, like, w what regions those actually are. Really? Because the common notion is they're one school in one country, right? I guess, yeah. Right? Well, Hogwarts isn't technically one school in one country. The UK is made up of many countries. It's England, it's Wales, right. it's Scotland, right. it's Northern Ireland, right? Right. Uh, that's four countries. So the idea that some of these schools are only one country might be misleading. And I saw a graphic that was really intriguing. Again, I'm a geography nerd, so that's why it was intriguing <laughs> to me. But anyway, uh, a lot of that stuff is really, really cool. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk some, some more uh, champions and stuff like that. I also, like, I this is terrible, but I enjoy how much everyone turns against Harry again. And, the, like, I say enjoy, not like, oh, like, I love that part, but just, like, the fact that once again, I mean, it's just watching how they go from we love Harry to we hate Harry to we're convinced he's a murderer to he's our hero, and now he's literally the pariah of the school because he's the fourth champion, which is not his fault in any way, shape, or form. He doesn't even want it, and he has to suffer through that. It's just like, this child has gone through so much. He doesn't need this, too. I, I'm just going to leave you, we're going to, we're going to wrap up this, this episode, but I'm going to leave you with a tease. Okay. I have a very hot take in the next chapter. <laughs> very hot take in the next chapter. Of course you do. So join us for chapter two, which we'll get to next week. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed this first chapter of Goblet of Fire. We hope you enjoyed the new intro, the new break sound. Uh, we have a new logo as well, if you haven't noticed that, so... Uh, big things. Yay. Big things for this book. So, big things for this big book. So, we will continue on. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.